and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter, at Dino Game Theory. This is episode 33, Hail to the Chief Larry Bird. Let's get going. And speaking of of going, my God, I, I mean, normally every single week, I always have someone smarter than me on the pod. That's not hard to do, but this week, I actually have someone who's like way smarter than me. Like this is going to be an embarrassment. I mean, when it comes to, you know, uh, you know, IQ level, this is this I'm, I'm, I'm New England Patriots against the Rams in 2003 or whatever it is. I mean, I am, I am, I am an underdog here, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to come out swinging and I'm going to bring my guy out because we were spitting fire before we even started the pod. I'm really excited to have him on. Hopefully a lot of you guys are tuning in to see what, uh, what, what he's got to say. And, you know, today Josh Larkey joins me. Uh, Josh has a pretty cool background. We'll talk briefly about that, but we're going to get right into some some prospects and some best ball and all sorts of cool stuff. And Josh Larkey um, is working for Roto Underworld. Um, we had Nate Liss on last week. He also, uh, you know, works for Breakout Finder with Nate Liss over there. So Josh Larkey kind of does everything. He's sort of the analytics guru out there. So without further ado, I'm just going to bring Josh right out. What's going on, Josh? You know, that was a, I appreciated that. That was a good intro. I don't know if I'm going to live up to the hype for that one. I haven't heard that yet. I've gotten the, I've gotten the, this is the man behind the curtain at player profiler, but the IQ one, I mean, wow, you're really just, let me just, I mean, I like to build you up. Thank you. Yeah. That's what I do. I build you up, then cut your legs off. I mean, it's just going to be, you think I'm going to be nice and then I'm not. It's really, it's really a confusing time for most of my guests. They don't know what the hell to do. Uh, I'm only teasing, but uh, it really is an honor to have you on. I mean, I am intrigued by you. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show, and I remember I, I sort of started to recall when you first hopped on Twitter and started to make your presence known there. I know you were doing some stuff with with Roto Underworld a bit before that, but you know, your Twitter um, presence was when I was introduced to you, and I knew right away, like just some of your re- responses and and some of the things that you were adding to certain conversations that you were you know, uh, certainly well-informed and very intelligent that, that, that came across very clearly. Uh, but what I then found was that you had a pretty fun, uh, fun story, uh, or at least from our perspective, you know, we're all sports nerds. So we, we sort of get excited to hear that you worked in the, at the front office of the San Diego Padres, um, on their analytics team, which I think for a lot of us is kind of a, a dream job to sort of, you know, be in the, in the thick of things in a, in a professional sport. So uh, tell, tell me a little bit about that. Tell the listeners a little bit about that. Cause I think it's a pretty cool story. Sure. I'll give, I'll give everyone kind of the, the rundown. So in college, I was applying to a ton of jobs, mainly in the sports industry, basically anything that had the word analyst in it. I was applying to, I was an econ major and nothing really worked out. And I just kept, I think I was interviewing too well and didn't have enough technical skills. So I kept getting put into like the sales role where they're like, Oh, you want to do some coding? Well, uh, do you want to just sell this software? And I was like, fuck no, I don't want to, I don't want to sell this software. So uh, I went to grad school to study business analytics and got my master's there. Kind of wanted to to upgrade my coding chops. And then I I was basically like the whipping boy for the Detroit Tigers for a year. So I was I was one of those like minimum wage baseball analytics interns where I just worked long hours for for absolutely no reason, just to kind of like bite my teeth. And then uh, moved back home to where I'm from in San Diego and was with the Padres for a year and a half. 
And there I worked on the business side of their analytics operation. So kind of got to see both the the baseball end of it and then the business end of it. And uh, when COVID hit, it turned out that uh, all my attendance modeling, letting them know how many fans were going to be at the games each day, and my customer journeys where here's what we expect, uh, <laughs> here's what we think Karen is going to buy this year. Yeah. None of those projects matter. And <laughs> right. uh, they, they laid me off yeah. with, with COVID. So We don't care about Karen anymore, bro. No, so thanks to the the Padres, I'd been I'd been working for for Matt Kelly at uh, Player Profiler for about two and a two two and a half years, and right when I was furloughed, I was like Matt, let, let let's collaborate. Let me let me step my game up because I'd been a weekend warrior there for for all those years that I had the day job. Sure. And then all of last season, I was working pretty much full time hours, and it just kind of built up to this point where. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be just one of those full-time uh, fantasy football people now. So thank yeah, you to yeah, the Padres for for furloughing me. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of those full-time gigs going. We all kind of know that. And we're all weekend warriors, or many of us are, you know. And and uh, we do it because we love it. And obviously you do too. But, you know, I, I imagine that it was, um, you know, very interesting to be part of a front office. I got a, I got a pretty cool story I think you'll appreciate, you know, sort of, you know, maybe it'll maybe it'll have something to do with what you uh, what you saw in uh, in the front office of the Padres. I'm I'm a little older, and you know, I, we were growing up and you know in and around Boston. And I had a friend who was like, you know, we were like Matt Damon in uh, Goodwill Hunting. You know, he was this genius, but you know, we're we're from Boston, so we're kind of assholes, you know. And so, you know, he's 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 a good dude, but we're just you know we're just a bunch of stupid kids. But he's a freaking genius, a math wizard. So he goes out, he actually did go to San Diego and went to school and, you know, applied for some jobs and, and he got a, a job in the front office in the, in the New York Mets organization. And, uh, you know, he's in the New York Mets organization and, and I forget the, the, the GM that hired him, but they're very analytics focused. Well, sure enough, uh, that, that front office got, got fired. That GM got fired. They kept the analytics department, but Omar Manaya takes over Omar Manaya is not analytics focused, doesn't give a shit about analytics. So, you know, I mean, they're still employed, but you know, they don't really give a shit. So the, 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 uh, the, the, the you know, the GM and everybody asks, you know, who are the best um, pitching prospects available on the free agent market? And the analytics guys come up and say, it's Pedro Martinez. You know, Pedro Martinez is absolutely the best pitching prospect available. And then they say, well, we, we also ran, you know, which, which pitcher is the best value, you know, given, uh, product, you know, production, um, prognostication plus how much they'll cost, plus how old they are, their, their curve, all this stuff, you know, uh, how long they'll last and you know, what the last years of those contracts will look like, et cetera, et cetera. And it was certainly not Pedro Martinez, which by the way, turned out to be exactly correct. They were exactly right on the money. Of course, Pedro, lived up to that uh, contract in year one, but n- not much after that. And they were on the hook for all this money. Long story short, uh, my, my buddy is like, yeah, you know, this is great. They, they tell him Pedro's the best pitcher available, but not the best value. So what does Omar Minaya do? Of course he signs Pedro to a gigantic contract. And uh, this is great. My buddy who, who, who grew up with me is like, Pedro's our legend in, in Boston. Absolutely loves this guy. So they got the press conference. The press conference is happening. You know, there's all the food. There's the press, the media. You know, everybody's suited and booted, and it's just exciting. Everybody's smiling. This is the best day. Uh, uh, you know, a brand new signing like that coming to the the franchise. I mean, it's just a 
victory for everybody. And not only is it a victory for everybody, but my friend just like, I can't believe we're getting Pedro. This is going to be great. Maybe I'll meet him. Who knows? So, okay, great. So he's going around the room after the press conference. Omar Minaya is just sort of walking him around, introducing him to this guy and that guy. And, you know, my buddy's standing there with, you know, his, his other other geek friends, you know, just quietly. Of course, they're not front and center. They're just chilling back. You know, and he's introducing him to this person, that person. And then he sees my friend and and, and, and their analytics buddies. And they they take Pedro. He goes, come on, Pedro. He comes over here. As he's about to introduce him to he goes, Pedro, I'd like you to meet the guys that didn't want you. And that was how my friend was introduced to his childhood pitching legend hero. These are the guys that didn't want you. That's pretty incredible. You know, there I you go. I took I took some flack from time to time with the Tigers. I'm trying to remember. There were a couple of people that were not as analytics friendly who kind of viewed us as like like the 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 party the party downers or whatever, like raining on the parade. Right. But never did they pragmatism. Never did you they guys go get up that to, shit out of here. Yeah. Never did they go up to Miguel Cabrera and they're like, here's the guys that think you're too old to right. be a starter at this point in the lineup. Right. So, uh, yeah, if you have some beef, uh, yeah, duke it out with these analytics guys who say that at 38, you really have the body of a 46 year old based on your injury history. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it's like, it was just such a crush and, you know, uh, that's the, that's the business world right in your face. But, um, I don't think anybody, you know, yet, <clears throat> excuse me, last week we, we, we opened with, you know, Jordan versus LeBron. Nobody came on here to, to hear me talk about fucking baseball or fucking basketball. They're here to hear us chop it up about, um, about football. So let's kick that off. And I, and, you know, um, I, I was kind of curious. I mean, you have this sort of really cool, um, you know, background in analytics and, and that's really your, your, your grounding. And, um, so, so one of the things I, I kind of wanted to understand was like, um, you know, like, do you have your own prospect grading model or anything? I mean, I know you do work like that for a player profiler, which I understand they have their sort of uh, lifetime value and everything. And I know that you work on that. Um, is that your baby uh, or, or do you have something? Else? I mean, tell me a little bit about that because I know a lot of people have, and I do this all the time, a quote unquote model, but I, you know, do you have a model that you use to, to, to evaluate prospects? So for me, that would be breakout finder. All the, mm-hmm. the breakout ratings on the breakout finder app are my model. Okay. So, that, so that's kind of like my baby in terms of uh, my model spits some, out some output and this is how the model is ranking the players based on probability. The lifetime values is something I, I work with Matt on a lot and that I'll be taking more and more ownership on just kind of like as the months go on. But uh, right now that's still like 95% Matt's baby. And it's mostly just me being like, Matt, we need to adjust this guy and sending him some projections or something. But the majority of it is still him, but breakout finder, that's my model. So that's cool. I like, I like both of them. Um, Excuse me. So I, I think that that's really cool. Um, you know, I, I don't have a model or nor do I have a quote unquote model. I know that you have, you know, sort of seen my anatomy series and I find, I find that to be more of an identification tool. So, so it's kind of like analytics for dummies, you know, because I'm a dummy. So for me, it was a way to sort of translate some of that in to sort of, I don't know, just sort of 
actionable identification. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, I, I can share it with you a little bit. But ultimately, it's looking for things that we see in elite prospects. So, you know, if all the elite prospects have a, a certain trait or a certain threshold, it doesn't mean that the next one will, but it's more likely for sure. Um, which I think is what all models are trying to do is be somewhat predictive. And I, 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 maybe I'm, maybe there's some predictability in, in what I'm doing, but I think you hear what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So what I like about your series and what I think would better serve more people is that if you truly have no experience with, with any type of modeling, the best thing to do is what you're doing rather than the people that go like correlation hunting. Right. And they're like, oh, look at the correlation with breakout age. We should just look at this. And what you're doing is exactly what I'm doing, honestly, which is trying to figure out what, uh, looking at the overall profile and saying what's in common here. And that's kind of where you can start to build archetypes. And when I'm training my model, I'm essentially trying to feed in here's successful running back archetypes, here's successful wide receiver archetypes. So if you do your anatomy of a wide receiver and find out, you know what, they're usually pretty tall and pretty heavy and 40 time doesn't really matter that much. Right. That's kind of like my model. So my model is going to see an Allen Robinson and it's going to see that he's like 6'3", 220 and he's slow. And it's going to say, and it you won't know hurt what? him. Right. He's not too yeah. slow. He's like a mid four fives guy. In no way is this, this an athletic freak, but you know what? It's okay. He was productive in college. He's got alpha receiver size and he's just always been good since age 18. Why would that change? And that's kind of what your anatomy series is doing as well, where it's looking at, all right, we want them to get drafted in the first two to three rounds. They, we kind of want them to have the alpha wide receiver body type, things like that. So it's the exact same thing. And I think that what people shouldn't do is when they say, oh, my favorite is when people say dominator rating doesn't matter because all it does is if you sort by dominator rating, you get small school guys. Right. So that's why I'm throwing out dominator rating. And I'm like, okay, so if a guy is dominant at a big school, should we just dismiss that then? Because you don't want to look at dominator rating. So you don't want to know that uh, Jamar Chase was incredibly dominant as a sophomore. That doesn't matter to you then. All that matters to you is that uh, he broke out early because you liked breakout age. But uh, he was only six foot. He wasn't six one. So next thing you know, oh, you don't like that either because you were looking for this. And the people that get too nitpicky with one or two metrics that's when they fail. So that's why I like yeah. your series is that you're actually looking at the profile and you're not just being like, Oh, this guy doesn't quite hit arbitrary threshold. A I'm going to give up on him now when it's like, that, Oh, but he right. might check all these other boxes. <clears throat> that's exactly right. I mean, I, what I really tried to do with that is let the prospects tell me the story rather than me try to fit the story. Like I literally took the data of those uh, players that were successful. And again, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I, at the time, I just take the top sort of 20 consensus or 10 consensus uh, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, tight ends, whatever it is. You know, I, I try to use only maybe, you know, with tight ends, it's interesting because, you know, if you use 12, you might have some sort of bad data in there. If you only use two, well, then you have a small sample. So, you, you, you know, you try to, there's not that many elite tight ends. So that one's a tricky one to sort of arbitrarily cut off at whether it's, tight end seven or 10 or 12. Like I, I, that's the, the, the part that I sometimes will have a little bit of a hard time with, but I try to do that. But with, with wide receivers, it's real easy. It's like, you know, somewhere around 20 or 25, the top 20 or 25 dynasty wide receivers by consensus is a pretty good player. I just take those players and say, okay, 
what do they have in common? It also allows me to kind of move with the times a little bit because if we just go back to, well, the last 15 years, here's all the players that finished as a wide receiver one, that's good. But now you're also getting Des Bryant's and you're not getting Elijah Moore, right? You're not seeing Elijah Moore because you're looking for Des Bryant. And I wanted to be able to move that um, data as 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 quickly as possible and to have an identification process that is as modern as possible. What do you think about that? Yeah, I completely agree. I think that that's something that people fall into is kind of a trap is, yes, you want the historical comps. You want to see that a guy that looks like this has made it before, but you also have to be cognizant of what the current NFL looks like. And the current NFL is trending faster. The receivers are often getting a little smaller and quicker. The linebackers are often getting a little smaller and quicker. There's more of an emphasis on the tight ends to be a little smaller, quicker, run more routes, block less. And if you only are looking at the past 20 years and you never try and zoom in any more than that, you're you're just going to miss everything that's been happening since then. And right. I mean, if, if you want to look at the last 20 years, then sure, let's just assume that teams are constantly running the ball in game neutral situations. Right. Even though like that, that's clearly not the case in that while the Ravens would not have stuck out 20 years ago, now it's clear this is the weirdly run-heavy team. So it's weird that people take certain things that they really like from history to make it fit their narrative, but then there's other things where then you're like, oh, okay, so we're just gonna we're just gonna assume that everyone's back to running the ball and no quarterbacks are mobile, and they're like, well, no, everything's different now, but but not with this because my research just didn't feel like zooming in. So that's right. That's right. And and like when I was doing quarterback, so uh, uh, last year, you know, early 2020, rather than the 2021 anatomy series, when I did 2020, I also did historical, um, like, like um, elite tight ends over time. I did quarterbacks. And, you know, what I found was like, I mean, even with quarterbacks, it's kind of interesting because, you know, uh, when I like in 2020, like Matt Ryan and Tom Brady were sort of in there, you know, and you're like, well, wait a minute you know, Tom Brady was drafted 20 years ago, you know, like what does his draft profile have to do with what I'm looking for today? It might not have any, Matt Ryan was very pedestrian in, in, in college and yeah, like maybe that could happen again, but if it hasn't happened since then, you know, so he, so I tried to identify the outliers to all of the data as well. So that way you could sort of understand, Hey, you know, I mean, Tyreek Hill shows up as an outlier, in almost every single way. I mean, you know, size, production, I mean, every single way. So I find it hilarious and crazy when everybody says, this guy's the next Tyreek Hill. It's like, literally, that's that's insane. Because that you're, you're, I mean, that's the dumbest thing to say because there's no such thing as the next Ty- Tyreek Hill. There's there's almost never going to be a guy who's five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, who was in trouble throughout his college career, who didn't produce as, a, as a, in college, who comes out and is the best wide receiver in the league. It's just, it's very unlikely. So if you're looking for that, you're literally doing it completely wrong. Yeah. It's like when people try and talk about Rondale Moore, like Tyreek Hill, I'm like, no, Rondale Moore is a far better prospect than Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill was an unproductive college person who's a horrible person and was what a fifth round pick. We don't want that for Rondale Moore. Why, why are you trying to, it's like people think it's a nice comp. To be like, oh yeah, you look like that fifth round pick that nobody believed in. Right. And then yes, it, uh, caught fire and has the best quarterback in NFL history 
slinging the ball to him. Why? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like what? it's like Antonio Brown too. I mean, that's another one. It's like you know, yes, obviously, you know, Antonio Brown, you know, is actually a fair comp for Devonte Smith and you know whatever and you know, but he's not really because he's not at all. I mean, he's a small school guy, came out of nowhere, right? Like body type and the way he plays. Yes, I understand that, but. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a slippery slope when you start getting into comping players that you know just don't really exist and can't ever be replicated. Um, it, it's just it's you know it's just a it's a fool's errand is what I think it is. Yeah, completely agree. I I have a podcast coming out later this week. I talk with a, a pro baseball player, and one thing he drove home that I think was it just stuck with me is he was like, as I developed my pitch mix and my fastball curveball, I constantly looked at players currently in the majors to make sure that they had pitches with similar velocity, similar spin, and that it worked. Because I don't want to chase an outlier. I just want to make my $2 million and get to the big leagues. And uh, this is the archetype that's worked. Why do I want to chase something else? And I, and I, the way, right when he said that, I was like, you know what? I bet the football players think the same thing. They're probably not chasing the outlier either. They probably don't want to be like Tyree Kill. Right. They're probably trying to chase something way more sustainable. Marvin like, Jones. Yeah. yeah. They're like, I want to be like a Marvin Jones, like a Jameson Crowder. It's like these, these archetypes are way, are way easier to spot. They're more successful more often because you start chasing Tyree kill. Next thing you know, you're John Ross and it's, yep. it's such a fine line. And Wait, I've, is John I've, Ross not good? Is that, are you breaking news? You're breaking news on this pod. That's wait. You think, all right. I, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I don't think I, you were like, wait, what? I mean, no, I've seen a lot of people that think he's really good still. I think that's unfortunate. You know, I think he's he's a guy. He's fast. He's fast. Yeah, Ruggs is fast. There's there's a lot of these fast guys out there. Yeah, fast. Yeah, I I mean, fast is fine. Fine, whatever. I mean, fast doesn't make you good. It just doesn't. Yeah, I just think that these. Yeah, if you're if you're chasing these outlier comps, you're probably going to end up the low end version because that's usually what happens. There's very few of the the rock solid profiles who bust. Why aren't you trying to be like that? And yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely, Josh. And you know it's funny. Um, <clears throat> I, I I don't know if you've ever heard my take. I, I've, I've I think I've said it on Twitter and I've said it on this pod a couple of times. I'll, I'll reiterate it again. It's like people ask me if I'm film or analytics, and I always say, look, I'm I'm fine with both. I'm into both. I. I'm a former player. I played uh, at, at the quarterback level, so I kind of see the game. I'm, I'm okay. I love film. Okay, great. But I don't really think I could do anything without analytics. I think analytics is the is the is the the foundation and the framing of the house. Like it's it's essential to have a house. You can't have it without it. So for me, I, I have to have the information. I also have uh, opined over the over the years that film analysis, film film analysts do use data they just use you know baseline data they they know they know whether he was a high level recruit they they know whether he how big he is they know if he played for a a power five uh, school or a small school they know uh how many yards he had they know how many touchdowns he had they know data and that's what tells them which guy to go watch tape on so they do use data they just don't know data very well so they don't use very much of it but they're using data because if you literally just said you can't have access to any of the information like height weight uh stats you can't look at the box score after you can't do anything you just have to watch random 
fucking games to figure out who's good. <laughs> they would, right? You know what I mean? So the, the whole data versus film is fucking nonsense anyway. It's, it's Of course, an analytics is more important because you need that in order to watch the right film. So that that's over with. But having said that, I don't think that film is useless. I don't think that at all. My, my, my question to you, though, is being at such an analytics background um, and, and having so much trust in it, as you should, by the way, but how much, if any, do you do of film work uh, to sort of supplement your process? So we have a we have a really huge network of game charters that provide that watch all the games in season and provide us with a ton of really cool data and I use that all the time. I love knowing how much cushion a wide receiver has on average. How are our cornerbacks respecting this guy? Uh how often is a guy actually running routes versus blocking? Things like that. Uh how many times is this guy getting targeted where it's more than like five air yards? So he's actually running some type of real route where he he's where he, if he's targeted, he's moving the ball downfield. And yes, that's analytics. Those are stats, Sure, but they're derived from the game. And I think that sometimes people think that I'm just anti-film in every way. And that if I was, I wouldn't use those stats because I'd say, Oh no, hell no. I'm not, I'm not going to use that. That's a film stat. Why would I want to know how many yards of separation he had? Because you could only get that manually watching the film. So that's why I think people often assume I'd be at odds with film is because I'm an analytics guy when really a lot of my processes are thanks to the people that watch the film and then report numbers to me. So sure. I I don't know why there has to be that debate. I think it's great to do to to use both. Well, and I, I think it's great to use only one too. I don't really give a shit what someone does, and and whether someone's a total film head and they really they can't they they're not even good at math. Like if you ask them, you know, if you give them a if if they give a ten dollar bill on a bill that's nine dollars and seventy nine cents, they have no idea how much money they're getting back. Like that's totally fine. I don't even have a problem with them. And if someone like yourself says, yeah, I don't watch any film, I don't, I actually I don't have a problem with that. I think. There's no proof that either – well, there's a little bit of proof, but there's no like – I don't have a problem with someone else's process. I, it just doesn't – I don't know why that I would get emotional about that. What I guess I'm fighting back on is the fact that you know people say there's one better than the other or whatever when clearly everybody uses some modicum of both. I mean you know, I suppose you could use just the analytics and never watch a game – and actually be pretty good at this as you, I'm not saying you don't watch the games, but maybe you don't watch the games as a, uh, uh, you know, as a tool, you use the results of the analytics of having watched the game, which someone else can do for you, which you get to help you. That's fine. That's also fine. Um, myself personally, I like to, I use the Daryl Henderson, uh, on a, on a couple, couple pods back. And I said, you know, when Daryl Henderson, when I first just looked at his, like his, his, his raw numbers and his, and his yards per carry, his size. And, you know, he, I thought he'd run fast. You know, I heard he's fat. Like, I was like, this guy's the 1.01. And in watching, you didn't have to watch too much film, just a little to see that he was running to some daylight. And there was a lot of daylight for him. And so he had a lot of big plays and he's fast, but he's also playing not at a big school. So sometimes it was against inferior competition. And, and so, you immediately realize that this guy wasn't an every down player that was going to be able to, to really, you know, you hear the word contact balance all the time with film, with film analysis, but it's true. It's basically when you're running with the football, 
can you get hit by a 240 pound linebacker and like make him look like he wasn't there? Like that's contact balance. That's getting hit, moving, not stopping, and then proceeding with gaining more yards. That's contact balance. And you know, he didn't really display that. And so therefore he he couldn't project as a guy who's going to just sort of torch the league. He projected as a guy who's a slasher and he's valuable. But, you know, if you just looked at, you know, just the raw numbers, you might've thought he was Barry Sanders. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. What I tell people in terms of uh, how good I am at watching football or analytics is if I, if I got my job purely on my coding and analytics abilities, then I'd be a fraud. I am not <laughs> the the best data scientist out there. I don't like using that term. And what I tell people is I'm a 40 to 50th percentile coder. <laughs> I'm around 80th percentile at understanding the game of football. And then I have like a 90th, uh-huh. give or take percentile data intuition where I understand how to make sense of the numbers and what research questions to ask. And that because I've watched football over the years and I've played football before and I understand generally what I'm watching. That's why I ask the right research questions in my work. And it's not that I'm this guru who's just hooking up, who's just hooking my computer up and then saying, all right, like let the, let the best players magically float to the top. (laughs) There's no way to do that. And then if you're trying to do that, you're going to do it wrong. And I see a lot of people that are way smarter than me and have these PhDs from top universities and they'll try their hand at a wide receiver model. And it looks hilarious. Right. Because they don't actually understand the game of football. So they're just kind of blindly trying to let the data tell them exactly what's going on rather than a mixture of allowing the data to tell you what's going on, but also kind of guiding through the process and saying, all right, uh, breakout age is important. But from what I've heard, I sort of understand why we want them to be an early declare. So yes, he might've broken out early, but he's not an early declare. What does this mean? And that the model doesn't always immediately put two and two together. If you're not, if you're not doing it properly or not aware of that kind of relationship or the relationship between dominator rating and how tough their college competition was. Of course, Kate Johnson, the, the wide receiver that went to South Dakota state, who's entering the draft this year. Yeah. The dude fucking killed it in college because he was at South Dakota state. Yeah, and he's that, the highest dominator in the class, but that doesn't make him the best in the class. It just yeah. makes him good at a small level, which will, how good? Well, that, that we look at more data, right? Yeah, and like <laughs> if, if you just, if you didn't realize the level of competition, there's often not really good metrics for that. The metric that we use for level of competition internally for the Breakout Finder app is one that we compile ourselves. It's not one where just someone says, oh yeah, here you go, this is the commonly used metric. Right. And the way that we arrived at how to create a level of competition metric was because we understand football. So there's so many steps to the process of analytics that involve making sure that at each stage you understand the game of football. And that comes from partially watching it. I watch a lot of football. I love watching football. Yes. By the way, speaking of doing it wrong, you guys are definitely doing it wrong at Player Profiler. If tomorrow there isn't a player page for you with the little graphs uh, the, 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 the bars that go up and down with percentile for your data coding and all the shit that you <laughs> mentioned there. If that doesn't happen tomorrow with some co- cool avatar and some, some cool shit about your height and weight, all that shit. If that player page isn't up, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. You guys don't know what good ideas are. That's, That's all I'm a gonna good idea. You. I, I really want to, I want to do one for Matt now. Yeah. A hundred percent needs to happen. 
I think and, it should and, be crowdsourced through Twitter polls where we're like, here's the four <laughs> key metrics. Yeah. No, Go no. You, you, you guys need to figure it out because they'll just – Matt will have very low ratings, I think. Uh, if it's a Twitter poll, he'll be very upset. So don't don't we don't want to upset him, all right? Um, <laughs> you know, so – but no, that has to happen. It's going to be awesome. Just the larky fucking, you know – Charts and graphs up and down, you know, 80th percentile. It's I really want to see so. my speed score. It's going to be first percentile. It turns out if you're 5'9", <laughs> yeah. 160 ish, and you're not running a 4'5". No five shit. Or you're, uh, you're Devontae Smith. You're going to make it. You're fine. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, you we, actually we, have a, a better BMI than Devontae Smith. That That is true. <laughs> That's facts. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, I, I've given Smith shit for his speed because I think he runs 4'5", 2'4'5'3". Man, I would kill to run a four five three. <laughs> I'm not sure what he runs, but I'll tell you, man. I, 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 I we we should get to Devontae. We'll get there in a second, but um, I, I'm glad we had that conversation. Um, let, let's uh, let, an homage to my man, uh, term. Let's move the chains a little bit here. Um, you know, I, I, let's talk about some prospects because I think that's really what I'm. I'm excited to pick your brain about. I think that's actually what the listeners want to hear. Um, so I, I'm going to ask you. I mean step away so so here's the thing you're a pretty good little player when it comes to dynasty i you know i i've never been in a league with you but i've heard you enough and uh, you know on your pod as well as seeing you sort of interact enough to know that you know what the fuck's going on okay so you can you can cite your rankings or your breakout finder if you want but i'm talking to you you're on the clock you need to pick um you know Najee, etn and javante you know, Josh Larkey for his life. Are those your top three? And, and in what order do you have them as of now before the draft? Yeah, those are my top three. I honestly think it's kind of a hot take if you don't have those as your top three right now. I think it's really tough to back up having somebody else in that third slot. I feel like PFF had, uh, oh God, I think PFF has Najee Harris as their fourth running back right now. Yeah. I want to say I saw that recently and well you know what you know who who does and it's I'm I'm going to have him on the pod next week is Matt Waldman. He has uh Trey Sermon at 1. Oh. So Jesus. that's no, I know. I'm going to have to listen you, to that. Yeah. I mean, he does his know, homework, so I'll be curious. Yeah, I mean, the, I, look, the numbers I, you know, don't really back that up. He but. he had uh he was talking about he had Chubb over Guy uh Chubb over Barkley and one other one. What the hell was the other one? Uh I'm I'm brain farting. He had another uh, damn it! He had someone else over another uh, over Gurley, maybe I don't remember. Sorry, but he had Chubb over over Barkley and another you know one that was a clear one point oh one that he had flipped and and it was a good player. I can't remember who the hell it was. I'm just I'm 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 brain farting on it. But I think the point is is that I think he's got some chops there. It's not. I don't think it's a hot take. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I'm interested to talk to him about that. Um, certainly he's going to have a very nuanced answer because that's how he is. I mean, he's not going to be like, well, I just think he's good. Like that ain't going to happen. So yeah, he probably but, watches more film than anyone. I've yeah. So, yeah. He really I'll, puts I'll listen in yeah. and see what he says. But the reason I think from my perspective, why I would label not having someone not that that's not Najee ETN or Javante in your top three is a hot take is I just don't think the numbers back up that any of these other guys just realistically have a shot to get, early enough draft capital and have a well-rounded enough profile to do well. So with yep. Najee and ETN, those are my top two. I Me think, too. I don't think Javante's that <clears throat> close, but I do think he's number three. I kind of flip-flop by the week with ETN and Harris. I think, ooh, I'd, I'd probably still go ETN 
ever yeah, since ETN tested and Najee hasn't, and then we've seen so many other guys where we're sure they're going to be this. Like everyone knew Javante Williams was 220. It wasn't a question of if he was 220. It was, is he 225? And they weighed right. in at like 210 212, or 212. Yeah, 212. And yeah. then ETN ended up being heavier and faster than Javante Williams, which was pretty hilarious to me. Yep. So I would take ETN first. We have, as a, as a numbers guy, the more data I have, the better. And we know that ETN is still fast. He is clearly no risk of being in the, the sub 200 pound club. So even if, yeah, I don't think 215 is his real weight, but sure, put him down to 208. He's still big enough to be a feature back. His receiving upside is just incredible. We pretty much all play in PPR leagues at this point. Productive every single year. And he's 22. I love Najee Harris. And he he just looks like the Matt Forte, Steven Jackson bully, both on the ground and through the air. But he's also already 23 or 23 and a half. And in Dynasty, you just have... You only have so many years before a running back declines. And generally, the running backs decline around age 25. So with Najee Harris, you better get two fucking sweet years. And that let's just say Najee Harris gets injured one year, which could happen. He's a running back. They often get injured. Now you might only have one elite season before he begins to decline or plateau. So that's why, for me, it's currently ETN number one. Harris too. And then Javante Williams, I think he's fine. If he, if, if you told me he was getting drafted in the fourth round, I'd be out on him because I think there's a ton of guys that look decently athletic, decently strong. They're kind of good at breaking tackles, a little bit of receiving upside in college, but being that he's uh, going to be late first round, probably early second round draft capital is so important for running back. So Javante just has to be my top in my top three because of that. Javante is one of these guys that like, you know, when I put my analytics brain on and I look at the the data, he's 21 years old, you know, so he's young. He's an early declare. He was very productive. He hit 25 uh, receptions. Um, you know, he was a huge touchdown scorer. He had a great sophomore season. He's a converted linebacker. So he, he didn't even play running back in high school. Um, so he's late to the party. I think he may be one of these guys that's like, you know, uh, you know, so, so all those things are great, <clears throat> excuse me, analytically. And then you watch him on film and he's very impressive. He's very impressive. Um, he does, he's not able to run away, um, which is evidenced by the fact that he ran what a four, five, eight, four, five, five, something like that. I mean, he's basically a four, six, you know, running back, uh, which is fine. I do like a faster running back. I like a guy who can, you know, he's very explosive and strong and he was a little lighter, which, so the fact that he was lighter and slower than I really wanted is what hurts him analytically for me. And it kind of fits with the film that I've seen, which is that, you know, he's very explosive and you want to talk about contact balance. Jeez Louise. I mean, this guy is like, I mean, he just, he's trucking dudes, you know, I, I film wise, I graded, I, I, I sort of comped him to Marshawn Lynch, like, but Marshawn Lynch ran a four, four, five or something like that. I mean, so he ain't Marshawn Lynch, you know what I mean? It's like, and he, I think Marshawn was over two twenty, so two twenty and, you know, I mean, so it, it's just like, you know, there's some holes in his profile and that's why he necessarily falls to that, that RB three slot for me, but he's just so enticing. Um, I think also Matt Waldman uh, on the pod with Evan Silva had said that he's probably the safest running back, which is, I think it's somewhat fair. In other words, I think he, 
he he might have a pretty solid floor without a high ceiling there. You know what I mean? Like he's just going to be good. Like we're pretty sure he's going to be good. Like yeah, I, I buy he, I buy that. He's looking more and more like David Montgomery. Yes, where, I said that. Yeah, like I mean David Montgomery. He's a fine running back. It's nothing yes. sexy. This is never going to be some uh, dynasty pick that everyone's obsessed with and trying to trade for. But I mean, in the, we've we saw David Montgomery last year in the right system with the right schedule. Yep. This is this is a guy that can break some tackles. Yep. He can hold up to a decent workload. Yep. And he's yes. And he's a competent pass catcher. And that's why for me, Javante and Williams, a good football cap- player. Yeah. yeah that's he's a why good the dra- football player. Yeah. And that's why the draft capital is important. Is ultimately with the, a lot of these running backs. Very few of them are special. Right. And because of that, you just want them to be on the field. And I think Javante Williams has a very good shot to be out on the field, to get his 15 carries and two to four targets per game. And he looks just a lot like a a mid to high end RB2 for a few seasons, which, yeah, that's great. But I don't know if he's ever actually a league winner. Like I think Najee and ETN can be. Could be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Najee scares me only slightly uh, with like, you know, top end speed. Not that he needs it, um, but I'd, I'd like to see him, you know, I mean, what if he's a four, six, eight player? I, I don't think he is, by the way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, we just don't know. You know, I always, whenever I say things like that, people are like, he's not that. It's like, well, actually, you don't know that. You don't know that. Because I mean, I actually thought that um, Javante was going to run between a four, five and a four, five, five. He was a little slower than that. So, Okay, so I guess he's or slower. Chuba Hubbard, like Chuba, the right? sprinter I mean, who ran his official <laughs> pro day time was what four four five. So we we adjusted to four five at player profiler, but still, even if if you're anti adjustment, fine. A four four five does not sound like elite college sprinter to me. And everyone was, if if you were talking to a Chuba Hubbard fan and told them he was going to run mid four fours they would have slapped you in the face. And then he I, ran I, mid four fours. And it's like, we cannot you guys take have any four, of this for you guys granted. Have, you guys have four, five, one on the pro day. So um, I, not to, not to correct you, but I think what your, your point is even more than you're saying you're, you've adjusted to four, five, six, which is fair. And I think people get upset when you adjust it just because it hurts more. You know what I'm saying? They're like, ouch, ouch. You know, why are you guys adjusting this shit? So yeah, he was two Oh eight and four, five, six. It's ugly, man. It, it oh, does right. Look yeah. I, I've gotten so many of these things confused. No, I'm actually so, writing an article right now about why we're adjusting. And uh, spoiler, Don't waste your time. spoiler alert. Oh, we're, we're doing this for the clicks at this point. I was talking okay. to Matt and he was like, I don't want to write this. And I was like, do you want some clicks? Because I guarantee you, this is going to be the most read article for a while. Because yeah, apparently right. everyone in the Twitterverse wants to read this. Oh, so Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it out. So I'll There's click a, on it because I'm your friend, but I ain't reading that shit because I already know the answers to the yeah, test. You don't need to so read I'll it. click yeah. on the motherfucker yeah, for spo- you. Right? Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, the pro day times are faster, even recently. Like, yes, they were even more fast 10 years ago, but just because they were even more fast now, they're less fast, doesn't mean we can extrapolate and say there's no difference now. I mean, all you have to do is look at, I want to see it was like the Kentucky pro day when that team had four guys run sub 4-4. You don't see that. You don't see two guys on a team running the four twos yeah. and then two other guys running the four threes. That never happens. I'm, I'm I don't not know a what big, these pe- I don't know what you want. Like this. I'm is- just not a big fan. I, you know, I, I just want the combine. I've said this on show after show after show after show because the combine is the sort of regulating 
you know, it just makes everything even, you know, you got to got, Hey man, you're going to show up. You got to run this day. It's today. Like, this is the way it goes, man. This is, this is evening the playing field. It's on the same turf on the same day with the same clocks, with the same shit. Like it's just a controlled, uh, experiment. I mean, we, you know, whenever you've done an experiment, if you do one outside in the wind, I mean, honestly, the wind, the air, the elevation, all these things kind of matter, especially when you're talking about 0.02 seconds or something. I mean, of course there's going to be variations. Of course. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, just use your brain for a half a second. Do you really think that we're going to be down to the point zero zero point zero one seconds of accuracy? With, yeah, the, with, the surfaces uh, are different at some of these places. Come on. Yeah, of the, course. Yeah, I, I think all the people trying to back into why you shouldn't adjust. It seems it seems like there's generally a motive where there's a player you really liked. And they didn't test as well as you thought. And then it hurts quite a bit and feels like a personal attack when you see that number adjusted up, which I don't know why we would do that. I, it's actually more work to adjust to time. Of course. So of course. it's just like, yes. if, if we wanted to make it easy, we wouldn't adjust anything. We would just say, all right, that's their time. And By the way, I, about- I agree with I agree with you putting the pro day time on there. I think that's smart. Why not? What the hell? It, you're saying it's a four, five, six. You have adjusted. Admit it. It's fine. Those who are smart enough will understand. Those who are not can go fuck themselves. I mean, it's very yeah, simple. If you want to use the pro day times, the pro day times it. there. Sure, it's there. I think it's smart. I think it's great yeah. because it we're going to think also- it's less accurate, but it's also okay. good to know. And then you can also do your own research. We're going to add Correct. that to our data analysis package. That way, you can follow along, download the data set and check out the combine versus pro day numbers yourself. Well, and I like to know, actually, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, this year is kind of simple, but I, when I go back sometimes, I'm like, ah, shit, I wonder if like, and I think you are going back, which is good for you, man. But you know, you know, if a guy didn't run at the combine, but he did run in his pro day only in, in 2017, I don't know which number you guys are using. So I'm always like, I wonder if it's this or that, you know, now I'll know. I'll be like, oh, that was a pro day number. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, not, not that it makes a huge hill of beans difference, but it's just nice to know. Um, so I think, it, I think it's great. Um, enough about that. You're awesome. Of course, everybody knows, it. but let's, let's, let's uh, move the chains again. Term drip pouring pour out. You're my boy. Um, speaking of Trey, Trey Sermon, <clears throat> Trey Sermon has really kind of risen to my RB four because there's draft buzz about him. Okay. Um, he, he, he started to um, play really well, man. He looked really good. He was a he was a high level recruit, um, and I think he's going to get drafted high enough. I think there's a possibility he can be the fourth back off the board. My only concern with him is, um, you know, he's also another one of these guys who is, you know, uh, slow. <laughs> So, like, um, again, I'm not too excited. He's 22. He's he's already 22 years old. I mean, he's not that good. I mean, I'm not that excited about him there. But I mean, he might actually be a you know a a, a guy who gets you know 15, 20 carries a, a game. You know, you guys have him comp to Damian Harris. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, a, like that. You know, it could be something like that. And Damian Harris was marginally uh, valuable last year. Could be very valuable this year. And you know, if I'm picking in the late second, early third of a of a dynasty rookie draft, you can do worse. Yeah, so I'm looking at our big board right now on Dynasty Deluxe where 
we just kind of average all the recent mock drafts that we've seen out there. Yeah. And it looks like fourth running back off the board is Gainwell at pick 84. Carter's running back five off the board, off the board, 94. So 84 for Gainwell, 94 Carter, 103 Sermon. I think the three of them are pretty fluid. Yeah, and I think I think Sermon's been moving up though, if, if I may. Like that yeah. number is probably going down, right? You know. Yeah, and I so, think he's. I think he's definitely like firmly in the earlier third at this point. But yep. my issue with Sermon, it's not just that he's a four-six guy. He's also not actually built like a prototypical running back. He's six foot two fifteen, which is let me see what we have on player profiler. I know it's really bad. I want to say he's like thirtieth percentile BMI. Yeah, you have him at 28th percentile, 29.2. percentile BMI. And that's what worries me is that, yep. yeah, it's good that he has that feature back weight of 215, but it's not like this guy's some brick house. Right. So he's. I mean, he looks a little brick housey. So sometimes that can be a little bit deceiving as it was with Javante. But I will say, like, uh, my anatomy series targets 30 BMI, which I guess would probably put him somewhere in that 40, 50th percentile. He's 29 on- BMI, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I look at I look for thirty, and it's not like, oh, what's the big difference, dude? Twenty nine and thirty. What are you going to do? This is not a big deal. I mean, when people hear that, uh, you know, two geeks like us talking about it, like as if it matters. It matters, but how much? So it matters just not that much, but it's a little bit of concerning. So when you have a lot of little things that are concerning, then you have a fucking concerning player, a four six guy with a twenty nine BMI, not awesome. Yeah, so like he has elite burst and agility scores. He does so he's going to make guys miss at the line of scrimmage. Yep. I think he's going to be a fine yards per carry kind of guy. My yep. issue and what I like about faster running backs is that they have big plays. Yes. And if you, I mean, anyone who watches football knows that a running back getting four, even, even if you're getting five yards of carry, if that's all you're contributing is just, you're always going to get four to five yards of carry. You're never scoring fantasy points unless you right. get touchdowns. Touchdowns, right. And you really need those big plays. Yeah, I just, exactly I just right. don't think Sermon is the guy that has that upside. And that's why I would, I'd still rather have Gainwell. He's still my RB4 in this class after finding out that Gainwell's a little bigger than we expected. And Gainwell's pretty fast and he's young. So it's just really hard for me, even if I think Trey Sermon's more likely to have a starting role at some point. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep it. And there's so many of these running backs that just look so average. And yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get some touches early on, but do do I really think Trey Sermon's gonna have more than one year as a starter in the NFL? No. At this I, point, I think I think I think you're rolling the dice too much. If you're gonna say that you're drafting Trey Sermon expecting to start him in Dynasty multiple seasons. You're hoping he I'm, has a good year, year one or year two. I'm gonna be asking Matt Waldman this question, so I'll just ask you real quick. What if uh, what if Jacksonville drafts Trey Sermon at the top of the third round? What's going to happen with him and James Robinson? I think uh, he and James Robinson can take part in in a very in a very fun competition. And yeah, what are you I, running I wish, for office? What I, are you I, running for office? I love I, this. I, I wish, you know, both players are very fine players. Yeah, I, I wish the best for both of them. Yes. I would assume based on how they used James Robinson last year. That on any given week, one of the two would get 90% of the touches. Right. And that uh, I think it could be anyone's game, just depending on who fumbles or something like that. Yeah, if he goes to Jacksonville uh, with some decent draft capital, 
I think that's just going to be like a, one of those clusterfuck backfields. That's I what mean, I'm saying, brother. That's I, I don't saying. actually, I actually think James Robinson is a better running back than Sermon. Me too. But I'm also not an idiot. And I know that draft capital matters. So Trey Sermon would probably get a lot of, he'd get a lot of chances to be the guy there. I just don't think he's better than James Robinson. And that's kind of my issue with Sermon and why, like, sure, he could have a good year where a team's just riding him because that's the guy that the front office invested draft capital into. But you don't see a whole lot of successful guys like that where they're not an elite pass catcher, they're slow, and they're not actually all that large. So Right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of a Trey Sermon fan. Like in other words, when I watch him play, like I was really kind of bummed that he got hurt, uh, you know, in the in the college playoffs because like I was ready for him to have that natty as a as a showcase of what he could do, and he just went out early with the shoulder. I guess it was. I'm, I don't remember. Like I don't watch too much college football, admittedly, but that game I was kind of excited and. Devonte Smith then got hurt too. I don't know. I was just I was a little bit bummed. I wanted to see him at least put on a show so he could, you know, see what he could do. But anyway, I think uh, that's metaphorical did, for his career, yeah. which is yeah, maybe he'll flash a little bit, and right when you count on him in dynasty, <clears throat> the backup yeah, running back's going to get that spot start because yeah, just, you may be right there. Sermon brother. just didn't. Sermon just wasn't wasn't getting the job done to a high enough level. Yeah, I'm that's really right. just I'm truly not excited about him. Yeah, that makes sense too, because he was he was unable to uh, usurp anybody anywhere. Like basically, you know, he was always sort of, you know, he transferred because he was playing behind people, you know, whatever. So yeah, I, I think you're probably right. You did mention my my bay, and I love Kenny Gainwell. Like, I, you know, I, I have an irrational love for this player, and so when I do that, I usually fade them because I just don't want to be, you know, the emotional, you know, sucker. Because uh, I always say that you know an emotional dynasty player is a dummy. So I you know, but I love this player. And what was interesting is he was listed at five eleven everywhere, like everywhere. <clears throat> and I think you got the five eight number from where'd you get it from? I think it was from Draft Scout. Yeah, we Draft usually Scout. use them as an authority on that on this type of stuff when we want to check our work. And I remember you and I DM'd about it because I wasn't trying to like call you out like where'd you get this number? I was literally asking you where the hell did you get this number? And you shared that with me and. I don't know. Someone else was was in our DM'd with us and like had some insider info or something and said he was five nine and a half because their buddy was at the at the pro day. I was like, what is going on? So like, do do you have any concrete information about how tall he is? Because it affects his BMI. Like you guys having him at five eight makes him a thirty a thirty and a half. If yeah, he's so- five eleven, it's not a good thing. If he's five nine and a half, it's kind of like, uh, but like. So- I think he's 5'8". Our sources for that are very reputable. And the people that are saying that he's 5'9 and a half train him. And I think that the people that train these running backs don't quite realize we don't want them to be tall. And they think right. we want them to be tall analytically. I think you're right. Which couldn't be farther from the case. Like, I hope Gainwell's short. I hope he's 5'8". I want all my running backs to be 5'8", 5'9", and stocky as shit. I want them to look like a Lego person. You know, the Lego people where when you get yeah. a Lego set, all the people seem like they're shrunk down and really short and kind of wide. That's how I want my running back to look. So yeah, like Emmett Smith. Yeah. So I don't think, I think the people saying that he's taller are saying that because they think that's what we want. No, right. I like that. When I look at player profiler, he has a 59th percentile BMI. I'm in baby. Suck it haters. This guy's actually not that small. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you 100. percent He, um, you know, I had uh, Zach Reed on the pod early. I, I like to get some film guys in early and and sort of just tell me what the hell's going on with these college players that I have no idea about. And he loved Kenny Gainwell. He thought film wise, he was, I think he said he was his RB one for for just for film analysis. Not saying that he's the best running back in the class. He was just like this dude is legit. And he was talking about also his receiving acumen, which made sense because subsequently I found out that he was recruited as a wide receiver, played wide receiver in, in college and I mean, excuse me, in high school. And so he does look like a wide receiver when he's catching the ball, but he's also truly dominant um, as a running back. Um, you know, obviously he's probably not a lead back, but he could be, I mean, you know, discount DeAndre Swift. Is that, is that just wishful thinking or is, is it possible that he's almost that good or, or am I, Am well, yeah, I just kind of being some, a little too optimistic? No, I think that in the modern NFL, we're seeing more and more guys be fantasy relevant without getting the 15 to 20 carries a game. Right. And I know that so many people focus on carries as the first thing. When for running targets. backs, I honestly look at targets first. Targets. Yeah, targets. I couldn't really care at all about a guy getting 250 carries if he's not going to get any targets. Right. That's just, it's really hard to be anything more than a low-end RB2 unless you luck into like the LeGarrette Blunt 18 touchdown season. So for me, I really like Gainwell because right. You you look at you look at his uh you look at that uh 2019 season and you see the 50 catches. That's what I like to see. I want to see a right. guy like him who had the 14% target share knowing that this guy was incredibly involved in a creative way and succeeded. And there's not just DeAndre Swift, there's there's Austin Eckler, I know Christian McCaffrey gets way more carries, but it's the same idea that you could take away 10 carries a game from McCaffrey and he'd still be a top three running back in the NFL for fantasy. And that that archetype of player can really succeed in today's NFL for both uh, just being good enough to stay out on the field and get those opportunities. And then in fantasy, we love when they're getting four to six targets a game. Bingo. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, I'd much rather have J.D. McKissick than Jordan Howard, right? I mean, you know, in other words, a guy who can actually change the game and and and, and hopefully he's, I guess he's, you know, closer to DeAndre Swift than J.D. McKissick. And you guys had him comp to Ito Smith, you know, obviously production-wise and all that. I think that's fair too. And Ito, man, he, he, he you know, you play, you simulate his career a hundred times. I don't know that we saw his best career. So he could have turned out a little bit better as well. So I, I think that's fair. You know, <laughs> it's almost like you're trolling me with your comp for my next favorite player. Like I've been, you know, I was, I was trying to dig deep early in the, in the, in the off season, trying to find, you know, the, the, the running back that um, would have been the anatomy of a running back darling, but without draft capital, you know, the productive small, my James Robinson last year, I had James Robinson pretty highly ranked based off of a lot of these same metrics that I was looking at that uncovered, my my sort of newfound love, who's Elijah Mitchell. Now Elijah Mitchell, I think was listed at two fifteen or something in the in the program, but uh, he ended up weighing. I think you've got him at two oh one. I'll take that f- for Bible. Um, so if he, but he he did come in light, if that's correct. Um, and so that was a, put a little bit of a damper on my Elijah Mitchell. But I'm basically picking him every single mock draft I do in the third round, uh, every single rookie draft. He's just there, and I'm just 
it's an auto pick for me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really loving this player profile. I love him. Uh, he ran a four, three, five at his pro day, um, at, at over 200 pounds. Yes, please. Uh, he was extremely productive and actually a pretty, uh, competitive, uh, backfield. We had Felix Sharp on earlier in the, in the off season. And he was telling me there's a bunch of guys there that were really good. Even guys who weren't coming out, I think Trey Ragas or something like that. I forget who's there. I'm always forgetting this shit. Yeah. He um, might get drafted day three, yeah. like late. It's kind yeah, of there you here. go. So it was kind of a competitive. He actually has a high, um, you know, uh, um, you know, teammate score in your in your breakout finder. And then I see you guys have him comped to my old bay, Jarek McKinnon. So I'm wondering if this is just a the 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 elephant trap that 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 Jax Falcone falls in all the time. So tell me I'm I'm right or tell me I'm wrong about Elijah Mitchell. So the the issue with these kind of guys or with with an Elijah Mitchell is that he's just going to get drafted too late. And that, yes, he's going to have that monster upside because he has the breakaway speed. But I've seen a lot of people trying to be like, is this going to be the 2021 version of Antonio Gibson? No. No, he's not. He's not going to get taken in the third round. He's not 220 pounds. He's He's not not, Antonio Gibson. Yeah, he doesn't have the receiving chops that Gibson had. He never had more than 20 catches in a season. So... I think he he's he's the kind of guy that's going to be tantalizing, but yes. I would I would bet against him. Unfortunately, like I mean, fun yes. to watch and the kind of guy that you're going to root for. And when he gets the spot start, like wheels up, this guy could break a long one. But week to week, this I I never expect him to be someone that you're starting. I appreciate the cold water. I, yeah. I really do because I've been pouring it on myself a little bit. You know, I think if he came in at two fifteen. And ran a four three five, then he might have been the Antonio Gibson potentially. I mean, then it's possible, or even the even the James Robinson. But you know, being a little bit smaller, he he does miss a you know, like you said, the the receiving chops. So there's definitely some holes in his profile. I think draft cap is going to be the big difference. And if if a team does see him and draft him in the fourth round, that's where everything changes. I think for me, you know, I like James Robinson a whole hell of a lot pre-draft last year and then he didn't go he didn't get drafted and I basically like that's when I I was like well I guess he's dead and of of course it was like you know the inside straight pans out and he you know the everybody gets you know everybody literally dies in front of him and he's just like hey I'm here and they're like yeah you're good enough go and then he got every carry for the entire season yeah that's good for, for everyone out there uh that's literally um what's his name almost died I'm not Ozigbo. Who was the other guy? Ryquell. Yeah, he had long term COVID. Armstead. Yeah, he he actually might never play again. Apparently, he right. almost died. Yes, and that was, was the guy really that was bad. supposed to be the starter, and the guy right. who actually looked really good when he would be the breather back for Fournette. I liked Ryquell Armstead. He ran like a four four or four five, two hundred twenty pounds, decent pass catcher. Yeah, the cards really the cards broke right for Robinson. Absolutely perfect. Um, and, and you're going to need the same type of thing for Elijah Mitchell. Of course, like I say, though, if he does get drafted, you know, four or five, you know, early day three is really the the zone that you're going to be like, okay, he has a chance. Because really, James Robinson, people say, what about James Robinson? You know, I mean, maybe he's Philip Lindsay. Yeah, sure. Okay, all that. It's possible. But it's really drawing to the inside straight. Once you get a little bit of draft cap, and actually, I I've heard some people say that um, going undrafted is better than being drafted in the seventh round. Sometimes that that may be true. I don't really know. So I'm looking at four or five. If not, it, you know, it's it's kind of pour one out for him. But uh, he is kind of my 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 sort of uh, you know new love there. So speaking of dead, 
is Jamar Jefferson dead now? I mean, I know Cody, your boy there, was reaching really high for him. I think he took him over Javante in a few mocks uh, in that um, uh, 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 you guys drafted against uh, – help me out. Roster watch, yeah. Yeah, thank you. In that roster watch draft, uh, he took him like at pick five or something like that. I don't remember. You you know. Look, I was actually starting to drink some of the Kool-Aid, so I'm not here to throw any dirt on anybody. But what I'm saying is, is he dead? I don't think he's dead. Uh, when I've done my modeling work just to sort of determine like a base probability of success for him, even plugging him in as a day three pick, he's still like the RB4, RB5 in the class just statistically. Sure. So I, I think he's okay. I mean, if he actually was 215 to 217 and ran high four fours, then he's challenging for the RB3. But he's not dead. He's just kind of what most people expected, which is this is a talented day three running back. And that the day three running backs who, when they get a spot start or if there's an injury to the starter, can run away with the job and keep it for the rest of the season. Like we saw with Wayne Gallman, where Wayne Gallman is actually kind of a good running back. Yeah. And he beat out uh he beat out Dion Lewis. He beat out uh the other guy I'm blanking on. Uh Devonta Freeman. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah. I was, I was like, like I was, like, I was actually was thinking like, like Rod Smith. <laughs> Wait, Rod Smith? I don't think he made the team. And you're like Devontae Freeman, like, oh yeah, no, no. He was of course he beat out yeah. Devontae so, Freeman. Like, Devontae Freeman's old and dead. Yeah, so like the Wayne Gallman can be can be fine in fantasy where you're actually starting that guy. I think that's probably the most likely path for Jamar. And what's probably gonna happen too is I think he's very likely to have six to eight relevant weeks multiple times in his career for fantasy. So I don't think he's dead, but the dream of him actually being the guy that you're taking uh, late first, early second round, who like completes the class sort of like Gibson did last year where Gibson was a late riser and then a layer goes to the chiefs and it's like, Oh, look how stacked this running back classes. I think that's what people were hoping for with Jamar is that there needed to be a fourth guy to make it feel deeper. He's just not that guy most likely, but Anyone that has 1,500 scrimmage yards as an 18-year-old true freshman with decent competition is at least interesting to me. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, you guys have him comp to Jamal Williams. I think it's a pretty good comp. You mentioned Wayne Gallman. That's actually a really good comp for him. Um, you know, if you pull up, you guys want to have fun, I'll drive some traffic to your to your, to your, uh, to your website. Go to Player Profiler and, and check out Jamar Jefferson's uh, player page and, like, it's just flaccid. No, nothing gets off the ground. Like all of his agility, speed score, burst score, bench press, it's all just like really bad. So that's a problem. Um, I thought he had a little bit of, little bit of punch uh, when I sort of saw him on tape. This is why you can't just watch tape because he just ain't it, man. I, I'm a full pass on Jamar Jefferson just because I think you're right. I think he's, you know, Jamal, he wishes he was Jamal Williams, right? You know, he just wishes he was heavier and faster and, and more explosive. And I think he'll be fine, but I think you're right. I think he's a career backup and it'll be a nice change of pace player. And he could get that sort of spot start or, or who knows what that, that Wayne Gallman sort of open runway here and there. But I think, I think you're right. And I think what that really tells us is that after the first three, you know, just draft wide receivers or tight ends or quarterbacks um, and just let, you know, let these running backs fall to you when they do, but don't reach for any of the running backs outside the top three. Uh, yeah, there's so many advice. good tight. 
yeah, there's so many good tight ends, so many good quarterbacks in this class Yeah, that, you know what? Like if you're running back needy in dynasty, then trade for a running back, trade your picks. Tra- exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. Trade your picks for a running back or draft, draft a quarterback and then try and flip him for a running back super flex. Like there's ways to get, I think too many people get caught up in the rookie draft and they force a pick or they're like, well, this is what my team needs. And it's like, you do realize that you're going to do your rookie draft in May and the right. season doesn't start until September. Like, are you just going to sit on your ass and twiddle your thumbs for four months? No, you're, yeah. you're allowed to trade. Find the guy who loves Jamar Jefferson. And, and when you're on the clock and he's available in the late second, early third, trade that pick plus some stuff for an actual running back and let him think he's getting over on you. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, you know, the, the, the rookie draft is always a bit of a uh, crap shoot and it's possible. Yes. That one of these guys, these guys that we just mentioned, the, the, the last few guys that we went through, you know, sermon and all these, it's possible. One of them is Arian Foster, some type of awesome player that, you know, is, had a a, a, a a subpar profile that breaks out. Of course it's possible, but it's not probable. So don't bet on it. Um, any other sort of, you know, players that you like at the running back position, I, you know, you can call them a data darling or, or anybody else that uses sort of, Hey, you know what? Keep an eye on this guy. This guy actually does look like, you know, uh, you know, analytically a person, uh, a player that could break out. Uh, it was, it was Kenny Gainwell. We already talked about him. Yeah. Well, yeah. When we I saw that on the show sheet, that was the only name that came to mind where, analytically he actually checks a lot of boxes and I feel like some people think the analytics crew wouldn't like him cause he's 201 pounds, but yeah. uh, just with, with the pathway to touches. Sure. If we're in a standard league, I wouldn't want Gainwell, but in PPR, the path to relevancy for someone like Gainwell, where he has uh, possibly the best receiving upside of anyone in the class. That is very good analytically. So that was the only name that came to mind. Like it's, it's a bad running back class. Yeah, there's no, there's I think no you're like, right. there's no sexy names in the back of the class where you're like, oh my god, look at this! I rolled a James Robinson. I don't think there's going to be that guy this year. Yeah, when when someone asks you who's this year's James Robinson, always say nobody. That's right. So I got a question for you. So we're looking at you know if I look at my anatomy series and I, I look at this, the, the one thing I think that well, first of all, the NFL does a terrible job of, the scouting community does a terrible job of the dynasty community does a terrible job of the analytics community does a terrible job of the film community does a terrible job of is identifying quarterbacks. It's really, we're really bad at this. And, you know, for that reason, I'm always very, I have very flaccid takes not to use flaccid for the second time in this, uh, this show, but I, I do I have very sort of vanilla takes because I think that there's no real signal that says, this guy's going to be good and this guy's going to suck. I mean, there are a few and I've tried to identify them through the anatomy series, but before I even get to like some of the things that I've identified, I think you're going to hit on a few of the same ones, but I'd actually rather just leave that question open and let you just sort of tell me what you're looking at when you're trying to figure out, Hey, who's going to be a good quarterback. I mean, outside of draft capital, obviously we're looking at the top draft quarterbacks, but among those, what are you looking at? This is something that I'm planning to do a lot of work on next year. The the one the the one pattern That's that I've right. noticed is people reaching in one quarterback too much for safety, and then in two quarterback reaching too much for upside. And I think that's the the biggest hack that I've identified just from a game <clears throat> theory perspective is that no doubt in a one quarterback league, why do you want Trevor Lawrence? What are you expecting from him? If you're in a one quarterback league, 
Take Justin Fields. Take the guy that runs a 4-4. Take the guy that could be a top three quarterback year after year in fantasy. That's not going to be Trevor Lawrence. But if you're in a two-quarterback league, take Trevor Lawrence. There's very few paths where that guy's not a starter in the NFL for five to 10 years. And if Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence burns out in two years, I'd assume it's Fields. So I think that's just from a game theory perspective, the biggest hack I have is that people kind of mix that up sometimes. And yeah, safety and two QB, upside and one QB. I, I would think it's obvious, but there's still people out there that don't quite get it. You should in no way ever be the person in your rookie draft that pushes the button on Trevor Lawrence. That's a wasted pick. Don't be that person. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I for sure I say that. In a, I, although I don't know about that uh, so much with Trevor. I think he's actually got some wheels, and I think he, I, you know, he may run a little bit more than we 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 think. But I'm with you in general. I, you know, <clears throat> he he did hit that you know that 400 yard threshold that I like to point out. He had 563 yards. He had um, he, he he had uh, 18 rushing touchdowns. Uh, in his college career, I think he's a little sneaky when it comes to that. I think he's sort of, we always talk about him as the, 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 you know, I, 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 I say he's basically Peyton Manning with long hair or whatever. That's funny, but you know, he's not really because Peyton Manning was a stationary player. This kid can move. Um, yeah, I should probably give him a little more credit. Trevor Lawrence. Uh, that, that sounds all. Yeah. yeah I, I say if you said Mac Jones or even Zach Wilson, you know, I think has a little bit of mobility, but I don't think he's going to be Konami in any way. You're a hundred percent right. But I can't let you escape the question. So I look at like, let me share with with you what I look at. I I try to look at two things correlated together that I think shows up in something that Matt Kelly talks about too. Um, I look at completion percentage and yards per attempt, which kind of feeds QBR, right? And so those things tend to be, but it's hard because, you you know, the system, the the weapons, the offensive line, the coaching, it's kind of like the, the Jim Harbaugh, you know, can hold you back, but, you know, uh, Mike Leach can open it up. And, you know, so it's really, really difficult. But I think that if you're able to complete passes at a high percentage and throw it down the field, that's kind of, uh, you know, uh, it, it is a good, uh, you know, data point. I look at interception percentage. I don't want a guy – this is what Jordan Love missed for me last year. It was like he didn't hit really anything. But – you know, if you're turning the ball over a lot in college, what says you're not going to do it in the pros? I mean, it's very unlikely. That means you're missing windows. I mean, if you're a film guy, you know, you sort of watch and, you know, if you throw a lot of danger throws, you know, that that, that would be uh, interception rate uh, personified. So those are the types of things I look for. I look for um, a, a, a great number of starts. Like I want to see more than, you know, um, more than a, a, a season's worth of That's what of I was play. about to add to that is – yeah. I think that's one of the big hacks is if you want the guy to transition well to the NFL playing the hardest position in all of sports, he should be a starter for at least two years, ideally. Yeah. And that there's, there's 600, guys- 600 college attempts. I look at it's like, mm-hmm. if you got to 600 college attempts, you know, maybe there's a season and a half. I mean, at, at, that's a kind of a, a, a nice bar to cross. So I'm with you hundred percent. Yeah. So I feel like uh, I could come on the, I could come on the show like next year and I'll probably have a lot more insight but it's something that I that I want to review for this next season. Quarterbacks yeah, and mean, tight ends are the two puzzles that I feel like I don't think I'm going to solve them by any means, no. but I I do think that 
that there's a better way to, to evaluate them than we currently do. Just there's so little correlation between so first little. round quarterbacks and the order they're drafted and how they end up doing. Yes. And that like, it's yes, awful. you, you <laughs> want your quarterback taken in the first round. Very few non-first round quarterbacks do well. But then once you look within the first round, it, it's kind of random. Like you have the Jared Goff, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. There's a t- Mitchell Trubisky, a ton of these top 10 picks that do nothing. Right. And then you have Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. And these guys were taken third, fourth, fifth quarterback in the class. And like, yeah, they're a first round pick, which is nice. But how did every single team in the NFL look at that guy and say, nah, because it's not like, yes, if a guy's taken 20th overall, sure. Only 19 teams passed on him and said, nah, not really. Every other team could have traded up and they could have been like, oh shit, this is the QB one in the class. We're about to get a cost controlled, most valuable position in, in the NFL. Why you would always trade up for that guy. So that's why I think there's, there's gotta be a better way to do it because right now, you literally just, I don't know, like you're, you're basically better off just picking popsicle sticks at this point where you just put the the first round quarterbacks into a jar and then pluck one. And I'm convinced that the, the unaware football monkey could just pick a popsicle stick and do very similarly to how NFL teams draft them. I agree a hundred percent. This is my, this is my problem is that, you know, we're just, they're not good at it. We're not good. It's not like, Oh, you know, in some cases we feel like we're better than the NFL. And I think we are quite frankly, in some of the ways that we use the analytics, I think there's a lot of Omar Manaya in the, you know, front offices where they're like, well, let's just get it. You know, let's just do this. Let's swing from the hip and, you know, shooting from the hip, whatever it's called, you know? And so I'm with you hundred percent. I think that they miss a lot because they look at the wrong things. Uh, I've heard a, a number of, you know, smarter people than you and I sort of talk about how they, or at least more well-informed about how front offices work, you know, sometimes I listen to like Michael Lombardi and stuff like that. And I think he's great, but you know, it's sort of a window into how it really works for them. You know, how, what they're, what they're really thinking and that they're not looking at, you know, all the things we just mentioned, college attempts. They're like, if a guy's good, he's good. I don't care if he played one year, you know, it's like, um, well, the conflating, yeah. The conflating variable there is that these guys want to keep their jobs and to keep their jobs. They generally just need to win that year. And I think that's what NFL teams fundamentally miss is that they, the teams that build for a multi-year contention window generally contend for multiple years, but there's too many teams where the, the whole front office feels like it's on the hot seat. And I think that's when the bad decisions really start to happen is when sure. the, the GM is told, if you don't make the playoffs this year, you're fired. Right. And anytime I hear that, it's basically just fade any of those players in dynasty because the team's about to go all in on one season for no reason. And they're going to be left with scraps and no draft picks, and they're not going to be replenishing talent. So I think that's the issue with how a lot of these front offices evaluate talent is they're not like us. I mean, sure. If I miss on every single take I have, I'd get fired, but just (laughs) generally like all of us in the fantasy community, we're not going to get fired or canceled if we have a wrong take. That's right. So we're actually just trying to say, this is, this is the best take that we have in general for the long haul. Whereas the front office isn't always thinking that they're frequently just, 
what is the best decision to make sure that I keep my job in my $5 million cushy salary for one That's more right. season? And, and not only that, but they're also trying to win the press conference, right? In other words, if the owner likes Zach Wilson because he looks cool and wears a headband and, you know, and he, wow, I heard he's got a good arm and you're like, fuck, I think I got to take, the, like, you know, I got to win this press conference. <laughs> I got to, right? No, seriously, like, you know, I may think Justin Fields is better. Who knows what? But like, there's, there's ulterior motives that are, you know, way deeper than how we look at this. We're remember very when Cam Newton. Remember when Cam Newton won over the locker room to a degree that had never been seen, even with Tom Brady. <laughs> and then he couldn't even hit double digit touchdown passes in the full hey, season. D- let, Patriots players are off, off limits. I don't know if you know where you're stepping into a world of hurt here, pal. Um, speaking of world <laughs> of hurt, you and I have been going for a long time. I know you got to get going. We got, we got a show sheet that goes for hours and hours. We can't do it. We're going to have to break this up into seven segments. Cause you and I could talk all night. Um, maybe we're going to go out on some, cause I just don't want to end it like that with, with me belittling you and, and threatening your life. So, Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. This is the last sort of segment. We're just going to do this and then get the hell out of here. We're going to have a quick spit on wide receivers and, and be done. Um, you know, I wanted to hear some of your thoughts and and really I want to start the question here and then we'll just, and we'll just see where it goes and, and end it. Uh, Cause we're, we're, I appreciate your time. So <clears throat> one of my things that I look at, at the, in the anatomy series, and I know you guys look at it too, is, early declares versus seniors, right? Especially in the early rounds, right? You know, of course there can be some seniors look later in the, later in the draft, it's different, but wide receiver prospects that are early declares versus wide receiver products, uh, prospects who are, um, who come out as seniors, the data is not good for the seniors. I mean, the early declares tend to be a little bit better, but they're not undefeated. So I guess what I'm getting at is when we look at some of the, the seniors, you know, Devante Smith, Tylen Wallace, Kadarius Tony, etc. What are your thoughts here? Are you a general fade on these seniors, or are, should I be, should we be looking with a lot more context or a little bit more context? What say you? So I think there's two pieces to this. So just for careers, yes, I'm going to fade the seniors. You're going against the data if that's the guy you think is going to become a superstar. There's very few elite receivers in the NFL in real life and fantasy that weren't early declares. The one thing that I'll say as kind of a caveat is if you're, if you're willing to make trades aggressively, I actually don't think Kadarius Tony is the worst pick in the world. If he starts to slip, even though, do I think this is a good NFL player? Do I think he's going to have a good career? No, but he's also probably going to be a first round pick. He's likely going to be one of the higher scoring and higher yardage wide receivers at least through the first half of the NFL season. So yeah, in that case, yeah, sure. If you if you're in, if if he's slipping to the late second, early third round, take Kadarius Tony. Why not flip him when he has his first hundred yard game five weeks into the season or five a two touchdown game? Yeah, something. Yeah, maybe it'll never happen. But that's I'm kind of play. that's kind of how I view a lot of these guys, where I really just don't see the the successful career for them. Right. But if he slips too much, then sure, I'll take him. He's probably going to outproduce uh, a second or third round pick that I prefer, at least initially. And there's generally some sucker who's in win now mode and gets excited, especially after what we just saw with the 2020 class, where like newsflash, it's not going to happen. The 2021 wide receiver class is not going to go bonkers and have 
a T. Higgins, a Justin Jefferson, a CD Lamb, a Brandon Ayuk. These guys aren't. There's not going to be four or five guys that go nuclear, right? But with the with the taste of that so recent, if if a if a Kadarius Tony or uh, Tylen Wallace or one of these guys that I'm actually not a big fan of, but is going to get taken on day one or day two, if they have a big early stretch, just sell that guy. It's kind of it's kind of interesting for me because I was a big fan of Tylen Wallace and Devonte Smith last year. So in other words, I thought actually I thought both of them would would declare early because I felt like they had the chops to do so. Tylen hurt himself, and you know maybe that had a lot to do with it with the ACL. And I know there's some injury concerns from the NFL, so he might slip in the draft. And I don't know. I mean, obviously he was the Heisman Trophy winner, so I guess he made a good decision or whatever. And probably, well, no, certainly increased his draft stock. Devonte Smith this being so I guess he made the right decision in that regard so I guess when you look at him as a prospect you kind of have to be like he made the right choice but, but so how am I going to penalize Devonte Smith who I really liked I was so excited to draft Devonte Smith in the second round of of rookie drafts last year he'd have been an early declare really productive and an offense that had other you know his teammates score would have been great to use your breakout finder uh you know lingo <clears throat> and now He's a senior and he dominated. He was unbelievable. And so he's 170 pounds and oh, forget it. He's a senior at 170. Can't be good. Look, there's a huge divide in our community about Devonte Smith. And it's whether or not you're willing to take him, you know, at ADP, which I think is wide receiver two or three, somewhere in that ballpark, a late first uh, in, in a super flex draft, a mid first in a, you know, pick five, six in a, um, in a, uh, a one quarterback draft. Let me just ask you the question that straightforward. Are you willing to do that? I know some at your, uh, some of your brethren are not. No, I'm going to trade that pick. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but yeah. if you're forced to take it, are you taking the likes of Rondell Moore and Rashad? Bateman no, I, I would, I would Devontae take Smith? a, I would take a more Bateman over Smith. Yeah. Even still, I, I kind of created this stake analogy and I think it applies well because I think it can help people sort of understand why it's kind of crazy to be obsessed with Devonta Smith at this point and to take him so early, which is his ADP is super early. Is Think about this. You go to your favorite steakhouse and you get the prime rib and that's your favorite. That's what you want to get every single time. You want the prime rib. You get it every time and you love it. It is. This is your favorite cut of meat. That's like, that's the Jamar Chase of the class where we've seen so many wide receivers look like Jamar Chase and be successful. But no, you, you want, uh, the waiter comes over and says, oh, you know what? I know you love the prime rib. Get this. We have a new mystery cut of meat and 10 to 20% of people, this becomes their new favorite steak of choice. Are you going to take this steak? We can't tell you anything about it. You don't know the cut of the meat. Just like you don't know the height or weight of Devonta Smith. You don't know his 40 time. You don't know actually all that much about him aside from this guy won the Heisman and he's productive. And unfortunately he's pretty old. Personally, I'm just going to take the cut of steak. I like, why am I going to try the mystery meat? I'm going to trade out of the mystery meat. And that's kind of what I see with Devonta Smith is as a numbers guy, if you're not going to give me any of the numbers and I know that even if you did, they'd be bad. That's worrisome to me. And that sure 
he could end up being Marvin Harrison or Chad Johnson or one of these undersized kind of tall and skinny receivers who aren't actually incredibly athletic. But that's the 10 to 20% of people prefer this mystery meat. Me, I'm just sticking with the cut of meat I like. Just give me that prime rib and I'm going to be satisfied. I'm guaranteed to like it. That's kind of how I view like a Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith kind of thing in terms of how big of a teardrop that is. And that even if Smith is your second favorite wide receiver, which is the case for most people after Chase, it's just not even close. So yeah, that's why I would trade out of that Devonta Smith slot or I would take a Bateman, a Moore, or my my new kind of uh, favorite guy at this point. I love Terrace Marshall. Yeah. Every step of the way, he just checks another box. I'm like, oh, he's actually that big? Oh, he's really fast. And the, the complaints about Terrace Marshall, he played too much slot. Do you want to know who played too much slot? Justin Jefferson. Justin played. Jefferson, yeah. Now, he played on the outside too. Hey, look, I got to tell you, you're 100% right. It's why I, I, you know, I put myself at pick 105 and a one quarterback mock the other day and I, I took Devontae just because whatever but I but in that spot I wanted to see what it felt like to be on the clock and you know sometimes it's like is it Pitts you know because it went Jamar plus the three running backs okay great I got five what do you do you know so I was playing around with it I was just trying to feel it out you know sometimes I do in mocks what I wouldn't do in real life I wanted to see what it felt like to have purchased him at that cost you know and um, <laughs> you, you know you what feel? I'm saying like I felt okay. I look, I think he can be a Calvin Ridley type of player um, or better. I, I think he's in that vein. I think he's a really, he's a hell of a good football player. I thought he was a hell of a good football player last year. I thought he was a hell of a good football player his sophomore year. So I think he's a good football player. I thought he just looked fucking awesome. You know, every time you watch him, you, so like he goes up and gets it. He's tough. Like, yeah, he's small. I get it. But you know, I don't know. I, I just, you know, something about it tells me he's just going to be a good football player in the NFL, a good wide receiver. Um, of course, he's older. He's a senior. There, there's, there's, you know, first of all, I'm going to have a hell of a hard time not calling this show Devontae Smith Mystery Meat. That's, I mean, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. That is for the taking at this point. <laughs> oh, my fuck. I mean, I don't know how I don't call it Devontae Smith Mystery Meat. It, it's it's just there. It's just mwah, chef's kiss. I mean, unbelievable show title. So thank you so much for leaving us with the the pinnacle of show titles. It's going, It's. I mean, I don't know how the hell, there's nothing else. So, but yeah, the, the what, what it left me really wanting to do though, Josh, is what you basically said, which is, I want to trade to, I want to trade to like pick, you know, three or four picks back where then it goes Smith and, you know, uh, Pitts and who maybe Rondale, maybe who, whomever else. And I get my choice of maybe Terrace Marshall or, um, or, or Rashad Bateman or something like that falls to me, a Jalen Waddle, whatever. Like there's enough in that tier that I I'm, I'm actually okay. And if honestly, if then it's Devonte Smith, there, great. Fine. Like that's also fine. I don't think he's so much better as a prospect. He might end up being that much better as an actual NFL football player. But in terms of as I evaluate prospects, yeah, I think there's sort of a, a, a tier there that I'm happy to stay within and pick up profit and still make my pick. So that's really how I'd probably rather play it. Whether or not the your league lets you do that, and and if it's honestly that much of a of, of a muted point for you, then. Be willing to sell the pick almost no matter what you can get for it. In other words, if for you, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith are all in the same tier, then you can easily trade back four spots. And whatever you pick up is gravy because you're still going to get one of them. So 
just do it regardless of what the guy is offering. I mean, almost, you know, I guess not if he's offering you nothing, but you get my point. Like if it's kind of a cheap price, but you're like, what the hell? I, I, I don't give a shit which one of these four guys I get. I'll move back four. I'm good. So I think that's probably the move there. Of course, we're going to see draft capital, landing spot. A lot of things will change that that feeling going forward. But I think going into it, I think that's a sound uh, bit of advice. And speaking of sound advice, that's what the hell you do, brother. You are outstanding. You are awesome in this pod. We ran long as usual. I, I'm, I'm starting to get a reputation, just so you know. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. But you know what? We, we, didn't, we didn't slow down. We didn't stop bringing takes. We weren't talking nonsense. And that's what I love. That's what these listeners love, man. And I'm so grateful. You know, the show has been growing. We've gotten so much great feedback. I fucking love all you guys listening because, you know, and, and girl, uh, I love all you guys and girl who's listening. I, I mean, you know, tell your wife to listen for Christ's sakes. I mean, I got not a lot of girls listening. Um, you know, same thing for me in high school. I didn't have a lot of girls listen to me talk either. So it's really just a, just an extension of, of real life <laughs> for me. Um, I'm only joking. I'm having fun, but tell the people where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, tell the people what you're up to. Um, you know, your, your, our, your, our, um, you know, training fucking website that's over my head, but tell everybody what you're up to so they can find you. Cause they really want to do that. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at jlarkytweets, J-L-A-R-K-Y tweets. If you want to personally learn how to code in R for analytics from me using football data sets, you can go to thatrcodingsite.com. Some stuff on the docket. We have underdog best ball rankings coming to you around the end of this week. So I'd say that's a, if you want to really be able to look inside my brain, those will be coming out along shortly after that with an article on best ball strategy and how I'm attacking my best ball drafts and kind of walking you through why I have different types of players above or below consensus and how that fits into a few different types of builds you can do that I would all def- that I would I would all define as these are sound builds for best ball with the with the half PPR scoring of underdog. So those are a few things to look for. Thanks for having me on. This was a blast. Yeah, I feel man. like we've been we've been talking back and forth for for months and months. So I'm glad that I was able to come on and, and chop it up with you. I, you were awesome, man. You know, I I loved it. You were you were awesome. We had a lot of fun together. I'd love to have you back on anytime. You know, I mean, there's just not enough weeks in the in the year to 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 do it over and over again. But man, I had a lot of fun uh, doing this pod with you. I, I hope it was a lot of fun uh, for the listeners. I I, I got to imagine it was. I. I've always said I try to do the pod that I'd want to listen to, uh, you know, and so I, I try real hard for that. So hopefully hopefully that was awesome. I, I had a fun time listening to you. So thank you so much. And on behalf of everybody at The Undroppables, uh, at, on behalf of everybody at The Undrafted, Michael, my producer, who is, a, is amazing, somehow makes us all sound great. Thank you, Michael. Thank you thank to everybody you, at The Undroppables. And we'll see you later. Peace out. Peace out.